Welcome to the Octa Business Podcast of the Octa Business Community Network, recorded at the wonderful Story 94 podcast studio here in Oxford. If you haven't visited, definitely come and have a look. It's a really, really cool space. Today, I'm really, really delighted to be joined by Jane Fryatt of Face to Face HR. Many of you will know her, but if you don't know her, definitely, definitely check out our website, a really great HR professional. Welcome, Jane. Thanks, Ben. So firstly, thanks so much for joining us. Let's start. Tell those who don't know you about yourself and face-to-face HR. Sure. Uh, thanks for having me. I'm Jane Fryatt from Face-to-Face HR. We're a small HR consultancy based in Wallingford in Oxfordshire, and we look after our small business clients, helping them to get the best from their people and deal effectively with those tricky HR issues when they arise. Absolutely. And just in terms of HR, I saw one of your LinkedIn posts um, not so long ago in terms of, is HR about making us politically correct or whatever else? And so what is HR and, and what are the best practices behind HR? Can, can you sort of sum that up a little bit? Oh, my God, that is that's a massive question. But yeah, I do remember that post. And it's really funny because that post, I was asked that question in a meeting, like a networking meeting, you know, oh, if I worked with you, would you make me be all sort of PC? And would I not be able to say certain things? And it did make me think like, you know, HR has got that reputation of the fun police. Mm. Um, I mean, I'd like to think I've never really been like that in my career. I've always been very external client facing and very much more project focused mm. rather than, you know, I've done in-house positions and everything, but, you know, I, I do have a bit of a habit of photographing ridiculous notices in toilets, you know, saying things like, please do not drip on the toilet seat or whatever, you know, these ridiculous things that sort of HR people end up being responsible for. And, um, you know, of course, HR is not about that. Mm. Um, It's about enabling people to do successful things at work and, you Mm. know, and and making workplaces a great place to work by... Mm empowering by having you know support for your for your team members making them feel comfortable welcomed able to be innovative and creative a safe Mm. space to kind of raise concerns now all these things fall into the HR remit as well as you know how do we support people to be more productive and Mm. work effectively and support line managers with doing a great job around um, managing people and supporting them when's needed but also you know dealing with issues effectively and feeding back. I mean, I read a quote the other day, which said something like employees are are four times more engaged if they get regular feedback. Mm. And yet how many managers sort of err on the side of caution before telling people, you know, maybe when things aren't going so well, or, or even when things are, you know, we're kind of nervous of like having difficult conversations. And I think HR's got a real role to play to help managers feel more confident around those sorts of things. So, mm, Absolutely. I could, couldn't agree more with that. Couldn't agree more with my recruitment hat on. I, I think more often than not, when I speak to a candidate in the market, they've left their job because they didn't feel inspired or if they've been asked to leave the job, actually often they didn't know about it until it was happening. So, mm. so could, couldn't agree more in terms of that constant communication and feedback. And we do a lot actually of just listening to managers and business owners around what they maybe just even like rehearsing. Oh, I want to say this. Is it OK? And nine times out of ten, it's fine. Mm. But people are nervous. You know, can I say that? 
And this is the sort of PC thing. You don't have to be PC. You just need to be mindful of the other person. And, mm. you know, you don't want to make that person feel awful. But the, the best course of action usually is to tell the truth, to be mm. honest, um, and just do it in a way that people can understand. And it's just being a bit more transparent maybe than perhaps we felt able to in the past. No, very much so. So let's talk about the full cycle of HR. Let's go right back to the start. So if you're employing a staff member, yeah. what are the things you should be considering? Because not every business does do it the right way, do they? No. Well, that again is, is a really good question. We have a lot of business owners take on their first employee mm. and, and it is a really exciting time for a business. Absolutely. You know, it's a huge milestone and, uh, you know, it means that the business is doing well if they're ready to kind of you know, start to delegate tasks to another team member. I think one of the main things actually to make sure it's successful is to be really clear what's that person actually going to do. Mm. And we do a little exercise with people where um, called like the skills and interest matrix where you look at the tasks that you're doing as a business owner and you kind of sift them into quadrants and the top right hand quadrant is all the things that you should be doing, you know, the things that are added value, you know, high skill you're interested in. And then the other three quadrants are where maybe you should delegate or outsource. It's a really mm. good exercise just to kind of focus your mind on. I think I know what this role is going to do, but actually, am I giving it the things that mm. are maybe the more repetitive or or don't inspire me as much or, you know, that I can kind of process map and then give that give it easily to somebody mm. else you know so that's quite a good exercise and the other thing is is just to be really clear about expectations mm. and that's what sort of the documentation is around setting out what you're going to pay them what hours they're going to work where mm. they're going to work from you know what responsibilities they have who they're going to report to how mm. many days holiday they can get all of these sorts of things you know need to be set out ideally in advance but even things sort of around expectations you know if you're putting any sort of incentive scheme in like a bonus scheme or commission, or it's just so important for the person to be clear about on what mm. basis are they going to be able to attain those benefits? Because if that's unclear, we see that leading to, mm. you know, people feeling aggrieved or the business owner, you know, not foreseeing maybe that certain things might occur that, you know, suddenly it drives cost, mm. you know, so, so I think being really clear about expectations is important and then obviously for us, we always say, make sure you've got the right documentation clearly, you know, because mm -hmm. if you're recruiting a friend or someone is in your family, which is often the case in a small mm -hmm. business, you know, you, you go for someone that you think you know really well. And so you're a bit more relaxed. So maybe you don't get all of the kind of ducks mm -hmm. in a row and, you know, nine times out of 10, it's going to be fine, obviously. But what you don't want to be doing is trying to negotiate contractual terms when you're already heading down a kind of... Mm -hmm. uh, a line way maybe you're not you're not getting on or it's not working or you know you want to do that up front when things are all rosy and yeah so Very does that answer so. your question yeah no definitely <laughs> definitely let's continue with this part of the conversation really is you touched on benefits there and i think that's really really key um there's no hiding from it particularly here in oxfordshire it mm. is hard to hire staff mm. it's we're, we're in a candidate driven market what is your views on things like the four-day week um what is your views on unlimited annual leave all, all of the mm. things that actually yeah, are really question. going to attract people to your organization what should be the thought process or the conversation process that businesses should be looking down when considering some of these i guess new benefits um in terms of quite recent quite headline benefits that that, that, that businesses are considering mm, yeah it's a really good question and it is tough you know and not only is it 
as you say, difficult to recruit, we are seeing people getting counter-offered, mm. you know, people accepting roles and then, and then you know, for different reasons, accepting maybe more than one role and then pulling out. So it is a really challenging market. I think benefits, obviously it plays a part in people deciding where they work. Um, I think the main thing actually is to make sure that they really fit with you as an organisation. Mm. You know, just to give you an example, I was having a discussion with a client the other day about their benefits. So they're, they're fairly new startup. They're, mm. They've got about, you know, 10 staff now, but, and they were wanting to review benefits and they were talking about things like, oh, you know, should we have death in service? Should we have private medical? You know, all the kind of real traditional ones. Mm. And actually this is a highly innovative tech startup whose work- workforce is entirely remote and they're in well-being and you think actually you want to give your staff benefits that kind of align with your vision and what you're providing to your clients so you know things like four day week is a great example of that you know um, where actually there are great well-being benefits um, as a result of people working less but not taking the drop in salary you know, but it, there are other things like helping people to, if, if they're recruiting a lot of young people, helping them to set financial goals for themselves and mm. um, maybe having some support with how they manage their money. We work with an organisation called Octopus Money Coach, which which does that, which is a great benefit to offer people. Definitely. It, private medical is very expensive. And actually, if you're in an early stage of your business, you may not be able to afford to give everyone private medical. But what you could do is give everyone an annual health check, which is again, if you're employing younger people, that's a benefit now. You know, mm. things like income protection, very sort of traditional, really desirable benefit for maybe older employees, but, you know, Gen Zs or whatever, if you're trying to attract, you know, a, a younger or more diverse workforce, that probably isn't the sort of route that you'd want to go down. Mm. You know, again, very costly and, and people just don't see the benefit for mm. years and years. You know, it's not something that's going to attract. It's interesting on holiday... Actually, I don't think unlimited holiday works. Uh, I've held that belief for a long time, but actually I've had two clients trial it recently and people actually take less. Mm. I think the reason that they take less holiday is because actually it's unclear what their entitlement is Mm. because it's unlimited. And you can put all the words in around, you know, we expect you to take at least four weeks or whatever. But I think it's just that word, unlimited, you know. So actually, I think if you're if you're going to go with a, you want to be generous on holiday, be generous on holiday. Don't don't go unlimited. Give them like 40 days or something, you know, which, you know, is a lot with the bank holidays. But that will have more of an effect, I think, because people will see that is my entitlement. But just coming back to kind of flexible working, and obviously we've had a revolution in flexible working since COVID. And I was reading about the flexible working bill that's coming through. And it's just for me, like that's already happened naturally from mm. from COVID. We work with a lot of tech and, you know, creative businesses who are already remote potentially, mm. or, or if they weren't, they've certainly gone to a, a hybrid model. And so, you know, saying to people, oh, you, know, you can now make two flexible working requests in a year, it's going to make absolutely mm. no difference to those type of clients. But I think the four day week definitely is, I, I'm an advocate of it. You know, I think it does need careful planning and, you know, people do need to have autonomy over how they work so that mm. they can be more efficient and they can decline meetings if they aren't required in that meeting. And, mm. and they, you know, when someone sends me a meeting request for an hour now, I feel really grumpy about it because I think since COVID, it's, it's not the thing to do. Mm. You know, if it's online, I'm talking about, you know, at least 
give me 15 minutes before the next meeting. You know, so I would only schedule a half an hour, 45 minute meeting now. And I just think things like that, we just need to be more guarded about our time. If you are trying to work a, a shorter week, mm. but getting the same amount mm. done, which is the whole premise of the four day week. The four day week is not compressed hours, by the way, because I've had mm. a few people come to me to say, oh, we want to implement a four, four day week and people are going to work their 40 hours over four days. Well, that's crap. Do you know what I mean? Like, I wouldn't advocate that at all. Mm. The four-day week is where you work 80% of your hours for 100% of your pay. It doesn't mean it has to be over four days, but it does mean that people do need to be really in control of how efficient they are and, you know, that they have control over their own sort of productivity mm. levels. And, you know, the, the evidence is overwhelming that people are more productive, actually not less, which feels mm. weird because we're so ingrained in this kind of, if that person's not sat at their desk and they can't be mm. effective, well, you know, the evidence shows on average people are only productive for like three hours a day or something stupid mm. in a seven hour day. So I think obviously there's always a caveat here. You know, there will be some businesses where it's going to be very difficult to implement what I'm talking about, you know, that kind of four day week. But I think most service based businesses who, you know, are delivering an output to, you know, their clients mm. who have control over that, you know, how they work, where they work, when they work, then trial it, you know, give it a go. You don't have to make it permanent from day one. You can do a three month trial, six month trial. You can have a little focus group of the team because it's got to be bottom up, right? Mm. This can't be a top down thing have a focus group who are looking at, you know, what are the ways of working that we need to all learn as a team? What mm -hmm. are the learnings? How do we share those? You know, I've got a whole checklist of things to think about before you even consider implementing a four-day week, which I'm more than happy to share with anyone. You know, just drop me a line on LinkedIn or email or whatever, and I'll, and I'll send it to you. But, you know, you've only got to Google it now, and there's so many case studies. You know, recruitment's mm -hmm. a primary one. Are you, you going to do it, Ben, then? Yeah, it, it, it's, it's certainly our ambition. It's something that we we, we had a focus group ac across my team. And actually, um, it was really interesting because I expected them to say yes. And they and they oh. and they all said no. No way. Um, they want to hold off for three months and, and review because they felt that there's been so much change in the business mm. as, as a result of growth. Two of my team have been promoted within the last two months. Um, and, and actually, they really want to learn their new roles before cutting their hours. And then also learning a new role as a result of a promotion they felt it was the wrong time but but no we 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 had that conversation and i think that one of the things that i see and i'm by no means an expert under the hr umbrella but in in the world of recruitment i, I think that my biggest advice that i see that employers should consider is listen to their people and mm. give choice and give flexibility because actually going back to the holiday piece 40 days for one staff member is amazing but actually some people wouldn't want 40 days they love being at being no, at work and you could have like a buy and sell mm. policy or something like that to cater for that i mean i think i do think the thing with benefits is it's not a one-size-fits-all absolutely you know so and it, but it is really difficult for small businesses to offer a true flexible benefit mm. system you know there aren't systems out there really set up for it there's some mm. amazing systems set up for like 100 plus size companies but obviously we're dealing with much much smaller than that one thing you could do actually just talking on the four day week for your businesses you don't have to have the fifth day off mm. you could do it as a kind of personal development day so mm. maybe they might feel a bit more comfortable about that or just do it as a half a day mm. or some people are doing a nine day fortnight you know one day mm. off in two weeks i think this is the thing it's not like again it's not like a one size fits all mm. i think you can flex it to meet 
your business. Mm, absolutely. So let's have a bit of a negative conversation, if that's oh. okay, Jane. And <laughs> um, I think one of the things that a lot of business owners hate is confrontation and those difficult conversations. Um, what's what's your advice to businesses who are needing or are unhappy with how a staff member's performing or mm. there's a situation that they're not sure how to deal with? What are the steps that they should consider? Well, they can watch my video on YouTube. <laughs> It's just practice. It's like anything, like you can't expect to be confident and good at something that you never do. Mm. You know, you wouldn't say that about, I don't know, learning to row or I'm, I can't do it. You know, I, I don't like doing it, so I'm never going to try. It, it's just about having a go and, and it will feel uncomfortable. Mm. But there are methods. There are many methods, actually. You just need to find the one that, that suits you. We've got a five-step method. If you follow that method, I guarantee the conversation will go as well as it possibly can do. And I know I say that, you know, that sounds a bit overconfident, but because we've had so many people use it, you know, and the mm. feedback is actually it really works. You should never have one of these conversations without preparing. And if you do, you're a fool because it mm. will go wrong. And that's what we all do. You know, we it's often these situations are emotional. We mm. blurt something out. We haven't really thought about it. The staff member doesn't quite understand. You know, that is a recipe for probably a fallout and, you know, maybe a complaint or whatever it might happen. So I think the main advice I would always give is if you've got um, a team member where you need to give some feedback that they're probably going to find a bit challenging, whether it's, you know, their performance isn't good enough mm. or their absence is too high or, you know, actually the way they deal with clients is is inappropriate or other team members, mm. you know, then just sit down for 10 minutes, 15 minutes and just decide exactly what the one thing that you want them to remember mm. from that conversation because that will kind of hone your you know, the communication you're going to make, you know, to that person. It, it's Normally, it's just one or two things that you really want to get across. And, and then you can build your kind of feedback around that. And often it's sort of telling them what that one piece of, you know, communication that you want to get across them and then asking questions to understand where they're sitting, you know, because they may, may be completely unaware of mm. what you're seeing or, or they might be aware, but they might not really know how to change or there may be other factors so I think always keep a bit of an open mind as well because often you know it, it may not be what it seems I remember once this is a long time ago but I was asked most HR people have had this happen to them but I was asked to speak to a staff member about their body odor <laughs> so not a nice conversation to have and I was very young in my career I hadn't gone away and looked up a framework or anything like this I just started the conversation with them but due to the sort of person I am you know I was very much like asking questions mm. listening to what he was saying it turned out he'd lost his accommodation he was temporarily homeless he had no access to showers like there was it was a real sad story mm. and the business was able to actually give him an advance help him get back into accommodation and that issue went away mm. so it wasn't just you know he couldn't be bothered to wash or he had sort of bad grooming generally there was a sort of a real difficult situation mm. there that the business could tangibly help him with and that's I'm not saying there's always going to be a story like that but the one thing that is true is you will feel so much better after having that conversation without a doubt yeah definitely and just in terms of somebody listening and, and I'm sure there are going to be people listening to here thinking wow Jane's very knowledgeable but how do I do this myself so mm. so one option is outsourced HR can you talk to those listening about what is outsourced HR and how does outsourced HR work 
Yeah, wow. God, you've got some big questions for me today, Ben. <laughs> so I suppose it's, you know, it can be from the very basic, literally will help you take on your first employee. So you're coming to us for our expertise, you know, on a fixed fee, and you may never need to talk to us ever again after that. Um, in fact, that doesn't usually happen. Quite often when we have done somebody's documents, contracts, etc., when they first take on their staff member, that's the start of a relationship that can endure, you know, over a long period of time and we'll, we'll help them onboard, you know, other team members and, you know, they may have some difficult conversations along the way like we've just been talking about. To the opposite end of the scale, which is, Obviously, you can outsource your entire HR function and we sort of fit somewhere in the middle of that. Our business works with smaller end mm. clients, so our ideal clients are kind of sub-50 staff. Once you get above that level, you probably do need something in-house, but there is still definitely an outsourced wrapper that you can have around you. And there are often tasks which are more, much more effective to outsource. You know, things like recruitment is a prime one, actually. Mm. You know, most in-house HR people don't really like doing recruitment, if I'm honest. I, actually, I don't offer a recruitment service in my business, but many HR consultants do because it does align so much mm. with HR. You know, things like we support businesses at different levels, you know, so we might may do the full outsourced support. So that might include, you know, as soon as you find the person you want to hire, we do all of their onboarding. We we set them up on the HR system. We send them their welcome emails. You know, we'll, we'll be there to support uh, with things like any sort of performance related conversations any difficult issues with that person but also the positive things you know helping the manager to develop careers and you know have conversations around you know promotions and what to do about pay and all of those things that you would expect your internal HR person to do you can have that through an outsourced model in larger businesses, we can work on an hourly rate. You know, if, if there's an HR person in there who's maybe less confident and just wants to be able to pick up the phone and ask a question, you know, we might have a redundancy situation or, you know, we've got a, a person who's appears to have a disability, but we need to do a performance conversation with them. How should we handle that? You know, we, we can also support on that type of thing. So, yeah, it really it really does depend. And, you know, there are bigger agencies, HR agencies and us who will put a whole wrapper around you know the, the company and will support with things like coaching you know occupational health well-being you know so if you're looking for something which is really you know gives you that full wrapper through you know one supplier then you know certainly those solutions exist out there no, thank you for that. Thank you for that. We are coming towards the end of the podcast, but one of the things that would be really good for you to do, and it may be some of the points that you've touched on already, or it may be something fresh. So if you were talking to the business owner that's listening right now and just give some advice of, of things that they should consider, what would be your, I guess, top piece of advice? I think it's know your limits, maybe. I mean, everyone thinks they're an HR expert, don't mm. they? Let's face it. Because we've all been employees, we've all worked, usually worked in, in larger businesses. And so we've got a clear idea. But I think don't be afraid to reach out. Like there's so many professionals like myself um, who will give advice and, and we don't start charging the second you pick up the phone to us. You know, I'm more than happy always to answer questions or speculative or what, what would you do if kind of things. Same with 
people I work with, like accountants, business coaches, we're all really approachable and more than happy. I would much rather somebody contacted me before they did something than they contacted me after they'd done something and I had to help clear it all up, if you know what I mean. So mm. I, I do think early engagement is better, you know, so yeah, don't be afraid to drop us a line. Absolutely. So on that note, um, it's almost as if we had planned this, but on that note, um, if somebody does want to drop you a line or has listened to the four day week idea or the five steps to have a difficult conversation, they want to learn more about what you do or have a conversation about potentially working with you, how can they get in touch with you? Well, there are obviously numerous ways. I do hang out on LinkedIn quite a bit. I also do have an Instagram account, which is very amazingly managed by Nicole Kluwer. So do have a look on there because I'm trying to do like more videos and stuff, which I think, you know, I'd be really interested in people's views on that or look online. You'll find us. Amazing. Thank you so much for joining us today. And thank you to you, the listener, for listening to the Oxford Business Podcast of the Oxford Business Community Network. I hope you've enjoyed it and I hope you're going to listen to some more episodes. And a final thank you to Story94 for their wonderful podcast studio here in Oxford. If you haven't been, definitely come and have a look. It's a really, really cool space and you're not going to be disappointed. Thank you so much.